0: going oh it's
1: another day another day another dollar what they say
0: there you go well welcome to you can't see them from the road
1: it's gonna i think i can see a road from here but it's not our main road yeah (laughs) well there you go that's the main thing right i that's you know uh i think honestly the main thing is just making sure you're staying upright on two feet and just living the dream and living how you want to, you know.
0: That is the biggest thing. We're pretty fortunate to be able to do what we do. Oh,
1: for granted. And that's, you know, you just heard me say, uh, living the dream, right? And I think a lot of people see this as cowboying as a romantic, uh, because we're always riding horses and we're always out in the mother nature and all that kind of stuff but i don't think a lot of people really understand the hardships that comes with it either so
0: oh a hundred percent like i mean they they see they see movies and they see it on tv and everything and they see these guys riding broke horses and good horses well they don't see the guy getting drove into the ground on top of his head where you know it's probably a 10 15 mile walk back to the truck and trailer or back to your cow count oh
1: for sure oh for sure and that's what i think you know the biggest thing i shouldn't say the biggest thing but one of the things is uh no. you know people don't realize like what kind of country you got to cover and um the day-to-day details of riding young horses and make turning these horses out and Uh, even just dealing with snotty cattle and day-to-day stuff i mean there's a lot of things we can talk about in in our culture that is like from heart wrenching it's not just getting bucked off on even colts and losing those cattle and seeing your foals die and all that kind of stuff and the nasty weather that we got put up with and watching good cattle you know just perish and stuff like that and through storms and all that too you know
0: in different well, areas exactly exactly and they don't see like the just the the mental strain and everything that this life puts onto a guy oh yeah and that's
1: that's but you know it's all there and uh It's just part of it, you know, and that's why we always, quote, unquote, live the dream, you know.
0: Well, I've always said, you know, I've heard other guys say it, too. It's not just me, but um, every day is a good day out here, even if it was a bad day. Like, we're doing what we want.
1: Oh, yeah, and that's, you know, and honest thing is, you know, I started riding horses and cowboying when I was, 20 years old you know yeah i've been on horses here and there but i really didn't have any fundamentals till i was in kind of my mid later 20s you know and uh that's when it really kind of hit you know you see you, you wake up early in the mornings when you're tired and uh you catch your day's ride that the cow boss gives you and stuff i mean it it just nickels and dimes you really to the point where you got to be mentally tough like i remember taking my first big job and uh they gave me some horses you know they they were some of them were dishonest some of them were counterfeit some of them were good and i remember this big bay horse he was a about half drafty you know he's big feather-footed bugger beautiful Had a, I i know people don't like him but he had a big old head on him, big old roman nose just i mean he was a beautiful bugger and uh, bucked with me every freaking day and bucked me off every morning and i remember the cow boss telling me like hey laddie you better get you better get tough or you better get gone because we can't keep catching your horse every day you're wasting time and I remember one morning coming out of that horse barn and I was, and there's, there's guys there telling me to go home, pack my shit. And there's a few guys, you know, whispering under their breath, like, Hey, he got it. And they said I screened, but I'm pretty sure I was doing an old uh, Indian war hoop the whole time. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I remember riding it out and um, I felt pretty proud of myself. And that next That next day, the cow boss and the jigger boss, they came in and they gave me my uh, first hat, you know, and I I was pretty proud of it. So I still have that hat today. It's still uh, sometimes I still wear it, but it's starting to it's starting to fade
0: out, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's nothing like hiring onto that first outfit and just feeling that appreciation coming because, you know, you made something happen you know getting accepted because when you hire onto that first outfit like you know nobody likes you
1: no and it doesn't even matter the first outfit second outfit even still this day you go to an outfit and you really gotta show them what you can do you know and that's and it's all kind of changed and like i i was kind of and you probably were but I was in that change where we used to ride a lot of company horses and as things, you know, went down the line. Now there's not a whole lot of places that have company horses. You got to kind of supply your own horses here and there. And um, It's getting, you know, it's a lot different than what it was
0: 10 years ago. Oh, like a hundred percent. Like even where I'm at, you know, just see in the past, 10 15 years like just the changes because where i'm at there's not big outfits like there's not them big one owner you know outfits out here it's community pastures you know so just over the last years you know i've been working for these community pastures you've just seen a big change in them and some of the change has been for the best and some of the changes you know Been for the worst so i guess let's uh i
1: mean like what's your i know you're up in canada but what's what do you guys do like up there where i can kind of compare to where i'm at i guess or even the differences in it because i i mean we can all sit here and i know you cowboy and i cowboy but like your culture to my culture you know
0: so like our culture up here man it's um it's more of kind of what you grew up with you know there's not a culture like the buckaroo influence has definitely been real strong up here and is continuing to take off but you know it's more uh just your cowboys you know your guys that um you know they they're a small herd wear car hearts and coveralls and stuff like that rope on rubber which you know, each their own, it's, it's what you're comfortable with doing and it's what, you know, so it's just kind of that old school cowboy, like, um, you know, something you would see and, you know, all, um, you know, just before this buckaroo influence took off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it to do, like, with the style you ride out here is what, you, what you've gotten comfortable with or what your parents did.
1: So, you're, there's still a tradition, I guess, is what you're going with.
0: Yeah, there's still a tradition. It's not, it, it wouldn't be, like, where you are at, where it, uh, this is how it's done. Tradition. Um, mm-hmm. Up here, it's more of uh, a how your family did it tradition.
1: Rather than like kind of where in America we have what I consider cow punchers and buckaroos and the vaqueros and the cowboys, you know.
0: Yeah. So like a tradition up here that a lot of guys would follow, you know, that I know is they they go back to like them, them Texas cowboys. You know where they rope on rubber and use a shorter rope and that kind of thing.
1: But would you call them a cow? Like, would you say it would be like more of a cowpuncher way or a cowboy way? Because that's like up there in the north, you know, back where I came from, up in the Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming uh, part of life. You know, there's a lot of good cowboys that still use rubber, but they'll go. I mean, they they're they're cowboys. You know, they we got the mountains and. Uh, kind of a difference, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's hard to explain out here, you know, what it if they're not really a, a cow puncher and they're not really a cowboy. They're like a hybrid in between. Yeah, and that's that's
1: kind of how I would go with it, is cowboy would be more of a, you know, where you got your cow punchers that they they like to tie and and I'm not putting down anybody's deal. You know, that's that's what makes. Uh, I think each area unique, you know, and uh, we got, you know, you you know how it goes. You got your buckaroos in Nevada and Oregon, Idaho, and you got your cowboys in the different parts of Idaho and Montana and Wyoming. And um, it's just interesting to see the influence of each place, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot has to do with, you know, the type of country you're at. Yep. You know, like, up here, um, lots of people don't believe us, but this is a, a totally different world up here, you know. the We have one side of our community pasture that's just lots of bush, little open meadows, um, lots of bush. And our other side of it is wide open marshland and boggy and sticky. And, you know, a lot of the guys up here, damn good cowboys, damn good hands. They rope on rubber with a short rope, and, I mean, I rope with, you know, a a 50-footer rope, and I rope on a slick horn, and I can get it – I get it done. You know, I'm not the best at it, but I get it done. But, you know, them Rietas and them big long ropes, like you just can't get something shut down before you you get to the bush. Like you got to reach out there and get them roped and get them stopped before they hit a bush pile on you. Or they hit a big marsh on you because you just can't follow them into that marsh because you'll just sink your horse out of sight. Well, man, you don't want to be doing that. That takes a –
1: probably can't get a backhoe out there either.
0: You can't get anything out there. Like the rule of thumb out here with us is if the cows – if there's a cow trail going across it, you can probably get across it. It won't be too much fun, but chances are you can get across it. If there isn't a cow trail or – there's an old cow trail and it hasn't been used very much like you don't dare go down it because you don't you might not come out
1: yep yep Been that's kind of like so i'm down here in nevada and as you kind of know i've been started in montana and kind of been all through the midwest and the west and all that kind of stuff and it's amazing what i have found out the different types of bogs i have seen from montana and idaho to nevada like out here you get kind of that into alkali and you, you really don't want to push it you know out here in that alkali it might look good and dry on top but you'll sink kind of in the bottom there uh just it, it's different different terrarium, different um aspects of you know everything like that and so it's interesting to me and me and you kind of talked about before is going up to Canada and trying it out there for, you know, a short spell and see what it's like, you know?
0: Wow. I mean, man, anytime you want to come up here, you're more than welcome.
1: I think, you know, I have to get those uh, COVID shots and those kind of scare me.
0: Well, I haven't grown another tail yet, but you know, Hey. It's, It's not really the
1: shots that scare me. It's uh, I don't like
0: needles. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of needles, but you know what? My problem with needles is I still stab myself, like, on a weekly basis with the licamycin needle. Or...
1: Yeah, oh, I get that. I get that. You're out there doctoring and, uh, you know, whatever you're doctoring, calf, yearling, fall calf. We get to moving and sometimes you stab yourself hopefully it's not with mikey till because yeah what...
0: that's uh well actually with mikey till we're not even they pulled it off the community pastures and off the shelves up here in canada like you can still get it if you're a feedlot outfit and stuff but for like just ranchers and community pastures they pulled it off the market they don't they don't want us having it which in one way was a really good thing and and another way, it was a really bad thing because Mike Attil was kind of that, you know, your last shot. Like, if it doesn't take to Mike Attil, it's dead, or it'll perk up. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. But the the drawback with Mike Attil, you know, um, like there isn't a whole lot of help out here, up here in Canada. Like some places have a lot of help, but where I'm at, there's not a lot of help up here. Not a lot of people want to do this. You know, oh yeah, I want to ride a community pasture some of these young guys and then they come out here and they see what it actually is and they're like oh fuck no I don't want to do that Mm -hmm. so the good thing about it is them taking it off is you know the boss doesn't have to worry about somebody killing themselves on the pasture by accident because you know as well as I do like you got something down on the ground even if you're by yourself or you're doctoring with another guy like shit can go south in a real hurry
1: Oh yes. Oh yes. We, I think we all have been to that predicament of going south very quick.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in a way it's a, it was a good thing they pulled it off cause you know, nobody wants to be a part of that. Somebody stabbing themselves with a, with a needle of micotill, Like nobody wants, wants to be a part of that. So. No, no. I know, uh, Guy kind of back
1: home in that area that he was out doctoring some yearlings with Mike Till and he uh put the you know and you know how it is when you're doctoring you always put that cap in your mouth and take the need you know the needle cap or whatever you want to call it and he put it in your mouth and then give the shot and then put it back you know on the needle and uh that's what he ended up doing but he had a till on it and he ended up having a cardiac arrest.
0: Oh yeah, like. I know, I know. Even with my experience from my tail, because we used it when I was in Alberta on the feedlot, we used it every day. And I know you get that stuff on your hands, and you can taste it.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So, do you guys have Draxon and all that kind of stuff up there? I'd imagine you would, but
0: yeah, we have like your 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 normal like Draxon, Reds floor, new floor, um. LA200, Licommycin, like all that stuff we have. All right. It's getting real hard to get. The vets don't want to give it to us, but I mean we're still we're still getting it for now so that's a good thing. Well that is good.
1: that is good. Yeah I think the whole uh, medicine anywhere currently is getting harder and harder for anybody to get a hold of
0: yeah and I mean it's sad because you know, um you know we're we're not getting it because you know Susie's in the barn sick, and we want to give her a bunch of shots, like we have a reason to get it, you know, we don't just have ten head, we can't call a vet where I'm at to get a vet come out and treat a cow for us. like we have to deal with this stuff on our own,
1: yep, yep,
0: and you know. It, it just comes down to your drug practice. Like some people have a good drug practice and a good protocol and other people just don't know what the hell they're doing and will load their, you know, their animal they bought at the auction mart. You know, they're a backyard kind of homesteader type people, which there's a lot of them in Manitoba. And. They'll buy this animal from the auction mart and it'll get sick and they'll just start pumping it full of drugs and nothing will happen and then they'll take it to the auction mart and sell it. And it's got They haven't waited long enough for the drugs to go through the system. And then instead of pinning it on who it needs to be pinned on, they just look at the rancher or or the pasture guys or the farmer and go, no, it's your guys' fault, so this is what we're going to do.
1: Yep, yep, yep. I think the big thing, too, is there's a lot of guys out there giving uh, the medicine for cows or bovine, and they don't know really how to, and it's hard to say, you know, not every, they can't tell you what's wrong, you know, and you know how that is, but generally a good hand will know the symptoms of such and such sickness, you know?
0: Oh well exactly.
1: And I think there's a lot of guys out there that oh just give it whatever and um even even some of these uh since Draxon's been out, they whatever happens, they just give it Draxon. Well I'm not saying I disagree with all that, but y- you can't give everything Draxon, you know.
0: Well exactly. And, you know, it just just comes down to, you know, there's getting to be fewer and fewer um, old-timers around that are still doing it. And, you know, the newer generation comes up, and I I hate to say it, but it's just kind of sad because this newer generation thinks they know everything. You know, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but, you know, just because you've seen it on... Youtuber, you read about it on the internet doesn't make you an expert, and doesn't make that animal have what you think it has.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, if you, if you, if I was sick and I googled uh, my symptoms in Google, half the time I'm
0: dead the next morning. You know. Well, that's that's just it. You know, and you know, so many people. You know, it it goes back to like just. Oh, I'm a cowboy. This is what it is. Well, I'm a cowboy too. You know, there's some things that still stump me. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's anything in this, uh, in this uh, practice that we see some new stuff every year, uh, different. And I, and I, I agree that each, and I don't know how it is up there, but being here and going from being in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, Idaho, Nevada, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and little parts in Nebraska and South Dakota and North Dakota, you know, each each place has their own, um, like the you know and you gotta watch different stuff and i mean we all have hoof rot but when you say oh yeah i got dealing with hoof rot down here and people are like oh you guys get hoof rot you you guys are dry well hoof rot's hoof rot you know they just because it's dry doesn't mean you can't get it you know their hooves crack out they you know we got rocks over here they get stickers in their um feet you know and causes hoof rot you know it's not from being in a bog all day long like it is up north, you know, Montana or something like
0: that. Well, that that's exactly the same out here. Like, um, you know, I've seen it on real wet years. I've seen the foot rot just take off on a real wet year. And I've seen it take off on a real dry year. Yep. You know, like, we've been battling foot rot pretty good this summer up here. I mean, we've treated a lot of animals a lot of animals for foot rot this year it's been probably one of the worst seasons i've seen this year for uh for foot rot that i've seen in like a long time so um i guess the big thing up
1: from like you guys is how would you everybody can assess a sick animal but like what do you guys do to prevent more I guess, stewardship and stockmanship. Like, do you, when you doctor, do you have a regimen for you guys to say, hey, you pull that calf out? I know out here you can't really just pull one sick out or anything like that, but do you have a deal where you can watch that one daily or come back to it every few days? Or what? what do you guys do?
0: So, like, out here on this community pasture, you know, We get to every field once a week. If we have a real bad field that we're treating, like we'll go back throughout the week. Like we'll try and hit that field twice a week, right? To try and stay on top of it. But um, generally what we do, if we notice something, like um, we'll just say, you know, we'll just say either we see a cow or number's 95, you know, because everything that comes to us is supposed to be clearly numbered. And, I mean, tags do fall out, but you can kind of take a mental note of what the cow looks like. And, okay, I'll remember her, you know, she had a a horn or a white face or whatever, you know. So, okay, well, you know, she's a little bit swollen. She's a little bit limpy, you know. It doesn't look like foot. It might be foot rot. It doesn't look like it right now. Well, we'll come back and we'll check on her. And that's how we do it. And if we doctor something, if we treat something, we reach out and help something. Um, we'll write it down in a book, and we ride around with that surveyor's tape. You know what I'm talking about, that little ribbon tape you can, you know, tie to a tree to mark a trail or whatever. And we just take a piece of that, and we tie to the ear tag, to the back of the ear tag. And, you know, that's there for a long time. And then so you know the next time you go back into the field, like, oh, okay. The guys have, you know, that one's been doctored. Somebody's doctored her, you know. So, how many people do you
1: have that help on that community field? How many head are you are on that community field? Like, how big of an operation is when you say community fields? How how many head? How many different people? You know.
0: Well, um, crew wise, there's three of us here. There's the boss, me and another rider, so there's two riders in the boss, and this year we have about, oh, just under 2,500 head on the pasture this year, which our numbers are, like, our numbers got cut in half this spring, like, we couldn't even take half the cattle, we're normally pushing that 4,500 to 5,000 head mark, on our pasture here. And, you know, we're sitting at 2,500 this year, just because, you know, the spring we had, everything was underwater.
1: So do you, so it's not like you're running out of lack of feed. You just had lack of, uh, just too, too wet.
0: Yeah. Like, um, just the cattle had nowhere to go. Like you walked out behind our barn and, um, you walked out behind the barn, you walked 20 feet and you ran into water. And where the horses were this spring, videos with my phone, the water was about three inches off the front coming over the top of the rack of the bike on the quad. So, and I mean, that's what our horses were in. You know, they would have to walk off the dugout bank, go down into the water, graze at night or graze when they weren't working, and then go back up onto the dugout bank to get out of the water. So, I mean, we just couldn't take cattle because they had nowhere to go. I gotcha.
1: Now, can you bump, like, I know you said late in the spring, but could you bump your numbers up through the year or are they, like,
0: contracted out? We could, you know, we could bump our numbers up through the year, you know, and that's not really my department. That's the boss's department. But we took some on later on in the summer, like we took some. Um all oh, beginning of august we took some more on but the, the thing with this year is there hasn't been grass in manitoba like we have right now in probably 15 20 years so all the guys that are normally short of grass and bring us bring cattle to this community pasture, they bring for a reason right because they just don't have enough grass at home to keep their cows so they bring They bring their cows to us for the summer. We take care of them. And they don't got to sell cows. They can keep their numbers up and keep operating. So this year, grass wasn't an issue. Everybody has grass. So, you know, the guys that normally bring, it was too late for them to come. They already had cows kicked on pasture. They had enough. They weren't worried about running out. So, you know, we just had to deal with we don't have as many cattle this year. Makes sense. And, you know, like every year will be different. Like, you know, we don't know what next spring is going to be like. So, you know, if it's, uh, if it dries up, if our one side dries up and we have a a nice winter, you know, not a whole lot of snow and and a good spring where there's not a whole lot of water, you know, we'll fill up again. All right. But it's just one of them things, you know. it's 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 the ranching industry every year you just don't know what every year is going to bring oh that's for sure that's for sure and that's some
1: years you have a good you think you have a made with a good wet spring but if you don't get rain somewhere during your summer months you know your grass gets depleted for the fall you know and then it gets kind of bad you know
0: oh 100 percent. and like the thing is you know um, you just, you just never know, and you don't know what other areas are going to be like. Just you know, we're a community pasture. We try and cater to the local guys in our general area, but you know, this year our area is good, you know, or bad with the water. But next year it could be good, and some other areas could be flooded out. So we'll take cattle from that part, you know yep we to we try to accommodate everybody, but you know you can only do so much. And this year kind of widespread across all of Manitoba, you know has been, has been really good, you know lots of grass, good moisture. Um, so it's been a pretty good year for the cattle industry. So that's a good thing. But, you know, there's parts of Saskatchewan and parts of Alberta that are burning up, and they're running out of grass, and they don't know what they're going to do.
1: Oh, yeah, that's kind of like here in the States. You know, we got a lot of guys up north were doing really good this spring and getting good, uh, especially in Montana because that's such a big uh, state there that some of them were doing really well this spring. Some of them weren't. And then now, towards the fall, they were doing, you know, the eastern part, I feel like, was doing better than the western part
0: of the state. Yeah. So, it just depends on what part you're from and what your country provides you with, right? And what the weather does. Because we both know that, you know, our biggest enemy out here is, is the weather.
1: Oh mother nature. Mother nature is a
0: good a good she can be a evil bit. Oh she she really can. And when she wants to be nasty, get out get get out of her fucking way.
1: That's no joke. That's no joke.
0: And you know like we were talking about a little bit earlier here is you know when we said live in the dream, like everybody thinks we're living the dream, but you know, stand in your house or wherever you're living and working you know stand in your house during a snowstorm and drinking coffee and know there's nothing you can do. Like you don't know what them cattle are doing. You can't get out there to help them in the dark, you know and sometimes in the daytime the storm's just too bad. you just can't get out there regardless. So you got to sit and wait a storm out and then, you know, go out after the storm's passed and pick up the pieces.
1: I think the biggest thing we fight here where I'm at is just your water. Which is pretty good.
0: Yeah. And, like, you know, the biggest thing we fight up here, you know, water's an issue. You know, rather we have too much of it or we don't have enough. But winter. Winter is our biggest battle up here.
1: Oh, I, I can see that. That's kind of, you know, on that, I see a lot of guys anymore start doing that winter calving in January, February. and uh, Man, it's, all, it's hard on those calves and cattle. Yeah,
0: it's, it's hard on everything around. It's hard on equipment. It's hard on cowboys. It's just downright hard on everybody. I mean, like where I was last winter, you know, we were leaving the pit, the, the diesel pickup and we left it running a lot of nights, you know, just so the fuel wouldn't gel, we'd leave it running, have it plugged in, have the block heater plugged in and every hour, every half hour, you would have to jump in that prick and drive around the block just to warm it up. So it'd stay going. Yep. And I mean, and you're calving cows out in that, so. I mean, if you have to do that with the diesel pickup, you know, that cow, that calf has, you know, 20 minutes outside before he's froze to death. Oh, crap. You know, 10 minutes before his ears are gone. Yep,
1: yep. Ears, tails, nose.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you got to be, when you have it in that cold, you got to be Johnny on the spot and be out there checking them cows every, every half an hour, which makes for some, really damn long nights and the worst part about it is on them cold nights i don't know what it is is them them cranky old old cows that know kind of what's going on they decide to calve, and they decide to chase a fat little cowboy like myself around the yard yeah So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you run into lots of things that are stacked against you, which you just got to overcome.
1: There's a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth.
0: You just got to have that no-quit attitude and kind of be a little bit half-retarded. I don't know about half-retarded, but I think you're onto to something about it. Well, I mean i don't know really a whole lot of people that um you know there's mama cow there putting her head down and you know she just doesn't want scratches on her forehead you know she's she's out to get you most people you know kind of sane mind, and uh would get to thinking maybe that wasn't a good idea where guys like you or me or that are in this job, you know, we look at that cow and you you go, you know what cow? I'm going to take that calf and I'm going to put them in the barn and you're going to fucking like it. And she really doesn't think that's a good idea at the time. No, no, no. Cows are pretty
1: protective over there. And that's what it's funny to me coming from where we had a lot of barn cattle where Hands on with cattle, like I'm talking truly hands on. You're calving in January, February, you know, putting them in toboggans, and those cows were pretty mild. You know, a lot of you might have a hooky one here or there, but generally, they were pretty good about it, you know. And then me coming down to parts of Texas and parts of uh, Nevada, well, most of Nevada, and uh idaho and stuff like that where they're leaving the calf you know in may march may april and they don't have a lot of hands on you know and that that cow is that cow knows more about that calf than i think what more people than people realize and you're not just going to get off your horse and go make sure old skippy's okay because you might be you might be in the next county you know with that cow pushing you all the way there
0: yeah, oh, a hundred percent. It's it makes for some good times and it makes for some real good wrecks and you know at least a, a good wreck. The only good wreck is the one the one you walk away from. You know, well, at least you got a story to tell at the end of the day. Like, yeah. And I, I I damn sure find myself in a few of them every year. I
1: think everybody does. That's I think every day that you uh, you're in this business, and I think one of the greatest people to ever bring livelihood into is Baxter Black with his poetry, and, uh, all that kind of stuff. And he you know you could tell he's seen a thing or two in his. What he wrote about, you know, and it was oh. always, as you can always put yourself in those shoes, you know. You, you sometimes you think it's a good idea, and you go in there, and all of a sudden you're you're scattered out Timbuktu, and it's not that great of an idea, <laughs> you know.
0: Well, exactly. I I I get quite a few of them ideas, and but that's what makes that you know that's part of what makes this job so enjoyable to me is you just you, you don't know what you don't know what the morning's gonna bring. You know it's 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 an adventure every day and you see something new every day. No for sure. Lord You me. know and the cool part about it is too like I've been fortunate fortunate enough i've been able to ride with some really good guys and you know they taught me a lot you know so i've i've learned so much from the people i've rode with you know and we just got to keep handing this knowledge down to the the new guys that want to get into it and start doing it
1: i think that's a big thing about it too is because there's a lot of people that look down their nose And like, oh, you can't be this, you can't be that. And everybody, in my opinion, deserves a chance. And sometimes their chances aren't that great. So you give them a second chance and they really redeem themselves. But as you kind of are aware, this is a, as you hear, and this is how I'm going to put it, it's a dying, it's a dying tradition. But our tradition still alive because there's people that want to teach it, if that makes sense. Pretty shortly, I don't think there's crap. Even in the last 30 years, 15 years, 10 years, 5 years, there's a whole lot less cowboys out there doing it. Because operations are changing different ways and things are going different deals because... You know, that's just the evolution of it.
0: Yeah, and- everything's progressing. And it's progressing more to be, you know, more mechanical. You know what I mean? Um, like, more equipment-wise. Like, you know, look at how the bikes, the quads have taken off. And these dart guns and everything have taken off. and You know, but... Uh, You know, and it's going to kind of sound cliche and everything, and it actually come off of a movie that you've probably seen, uh, Monty Walsh, with Tom Selleck. You know, he says in the movie, as long as there's one cowboy taking care of one cow, it ain't dead. Oh, I
1: think. So I got a question for you on this. Uh, Which... Monty Walsh did you like? Did you like the old version or the new version? The one with uh um Tom Selleck or the one with Lee Marvin?
0: I've only seen the one with uh with Tom Selleck, so I can't I can't say which one's better or which one I like better because I've only seen that one. Okay, okay, which is I'm, and it's funny because a lot of people refer to uh
1: Monty Walsh with Tom Selleck, the newer, you know the the remake of it, and a lot of people don't know that Monty Walsh was that old one with Lee Marvin was back in the nineteen seventies, and I and I hate to say this, but Lee Marvin can sit a better horse than old Tom
0: Selleck can. Well, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't doubt that because that them old. Them old cowboys that did them movies, they actually knew how to ride. Yep, yep. And I'm not saying Tom Selleck can't. I mean, he, and
1: I will say this. You just need to watch the uh, Monty Walsh with Lee Marvin in it. And it's the 1970s Monty Walsh. And you, you'll you kind of, you'll be like, wow, that's a better movie.
0: Well, I'm definitely going to put it on my list whenever it, uh You better just, when we get done with this, you better just watch it. Well, you know what? That's the thing about living where I'm at. Uh, I don't have TV or anything like that. All I got is my phone, and uh, the service isn't the best.
1: Oh, you're saying you don't have a
0: video store nearby, huh? Yeah, no, there's not that type of thing around here. We're kind of out in
1: the middle of nowhere on our own. Oh, man. I thought that's what they had, like carrier pigeons and all those kind of birds that you just slap a little letter on there, send it to town, they can send you back a DVD.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure there's that thing kind of thing around, but the wind blows so damn hard here, I don't think that bird would make it back. He might make it to town, but, you know, he'll probably be in the next county over the way the wind carries him.
1: (laughs) That's pretty fair. That's a pretty fair assessment.
0: I mean, it's all or nothing around here. You know, one day there's not a breath of wind and it's just, hotter than the hubs of hell and the next day you know you're wanting to run run to town to the tire shop to get lead weights to put in your boots so it doesn't blow me away okay that's
1: so here's a funny thing i i have found you know i was when i started cowboying and i made this uh pact kind of with myself is I started cowboying in central Montana and it's windy. They gets really bad. There's, I could tell stories upon stories upon stories, but the wind gets really bad over there in central Montana. And then I went to Eastern Montana. I'm like, man, the wind always blows. And then I went down to Wyoming and the wind really blows down there. And I've been to Kansas and the wind really blows down there. And I, and here I am in Nevada and uh, we have dust storms and sandstorms and i got thinking the other day i said my old man called and I, we were sitting there talking and I said dad everywhere I've cowboyed so far the wind blows I think these ranchers and big outfits like to just cow, you know have cows where the wind blows I don't think they can ever get away from it
0: yeah I know I think we're stuck with it and that's
1: an you know, it wasn't bad in North Dakota, but when the wind blew in North Dakota, it was always in the winter, you know? Yeah. And I don't think I, re- and because the summers were so good, you, you really don't realize that the wind blows, you know? Uh, but in the wintertime when it's negative 30 and the wind's blowing up to your back and freezing your butt off because you're wearing chinks and your front's good, but your back's not, you know, it, it makes a difference makes a difference
0: (laughs) oh it does so oh certainly does
1: no and that's what i guess the biggest thing i can say to anybody that's listening to this is no matter if you're starting out or if you're pre-seasoned never give it up i mean there's there's a time to give it up don't get me wrong but I see a lot of the, especially after Yellowstone came out, everybody wants to be a, have you seen that new, new TV series?
0: I've seen clips of it and it's nothing really I want to watch. So you really got to watch it, Tuffy. You really got to watch it
1: because it portrays, especially in Montana. Uh, it really portrays the rancher to be something that they're not. And, uh, it's just one of those things that I'll tell you this right now. A lot I have seen since that shows came out want to come do ranch work, but then they see there's no fighting, there's no this, there's no that, and everybody wants to be go to Montana and parts of Idaho to be this cowboy. They find cowboys really not what portrays on that movie and or TV show, and it really uh. Bums them out,
0: you know. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, Hollywood and the 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 big screen and the TV have portrayed an image that we're not. Mm-hmm. I think one of the
1: uh, good shows to watch, and you can get it on. Um, You can go to, I think it's on Amazon, and it's called uh, Cowboy Remnants. And that is a pretty good uh, show. It kind of shows you the working side of it.
0: Yeah, I have Um, that, actually. It's a real good show.
1: Yep, yep. And then um, there's another one I can't remember. I think it's Gathering Remnants
0: is what it's called.
1: That's the but, one uh, I
0: have, Gathering Remnants. Yeah,
1: it's, yeah. it's a good it, one. Yep, yeah. yep. It, it's Gathering Remnants. And uh, there's another one I can't remember. It just came out pretty recent. and It's like Cowboy Life or something. It's about, you know, the same aspect of the working cowboy. And I think it portrays a lot of things that...
0: Yeah, it's called um, um, The Cowboys, I believe. I, I believe, believe you're... I, I, I have it. I have it on DVD, actually. And it's, yeah, it's the modern day, the modern day guys like us, you know. It it, it it painted a good picture of what we're actually about. You know, so I really, I really enjoyed that show, too. It was a good one. No, and I think,
1: I and honestly, here's what I'm going to say about it all after we kind of I think anybody should kind of watch that because in gathering remnants, there's a couple of those. And if you've been to a cow, a true cowboy camp, sometimes you're kind of up there by yourself and you're up there by yourself for many months, many days, many nights. And it gets, there's a lonesome there, you know, you're lonesome, but you're free. You're lonesome, but you're happy, you know, so on and so forth. And, uh, I think the big thing about it is, is these cowboy crews are getting smaller and smaller. We're getting more, uh, for a lot of reasons. It's not that we can't, uh, places can't afford them, but we're getting our technology. Everything is getting more advanced, more better, uh, so on and so forth. But we also, you know, tie and just like anything tires are gone up the price of fuel has gone up the the price of these vehicles even used vehicles have gone up used trailers new trailers have gone up and it's really hard because even 10 years ago you could go drive out there go do a quick gather and put them in different kind of pasture or different um allotment but now you know we're, we're starting to go back a little bit of the old ways where we don't have the crew but we still go out there and long trot all day and we still go out and um put miles to these horses and we're starting to get more a little bit more a little bit more cowboy i would say because everything has gone up that it's getting to that point you know and I think that if you watch those movies, I'll kind of tell you a little bit more of what I'm trying to explain, but.
0: Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, it's, it, it's just like anywhere, like, you know, the, with the rising cost of everything, there's the budget and, you know, they're starting to realize that, you know, Hey, that guy that's, way out there on his own in that remote cow camp you know like it's kind of handy to have him up there because we're not we're not spending a hundred dollars you know just to run up to that camp and back just to move move them cows you know we got a guy up there
1: yep yep and that's i mean when i went to uh was in kansas for a little bit and it was funny you know we'd sit there and they'd ask me because i came from a whole different atmosphere than what those guys realized and and that was a feedlot deal you know that wasn't out there we weren't out there moving cows it wasn't a ranch job you know it was a feedlot gig and uh those guys didn't understand that a lot of those places that i lived on ran off solar panel ran off generators ran you know we didn't have a phone to call you know we had a There's a lot of times where i had to drive 15 20 miles off the mountain out of the range to the nearest cell phone spot just to say hey what's going on you know and if you if you're seeing you know talking to your parents or something that's one thing but you know once a week i remember coming out of there you'd shut the generator off and in the morning when you'd leave just save fuel and you'd come back you know if you're going to pull two circles and you'd turn your generator on for a couple hours you know but then you also you know you had your solar panel back up to keep your fridge going and all that kind of stuff and you really kind of got to live a different lifestyle because even some places didn't have a solar panel you know and you could leave your generator on but with fuel being five bucks a gallon and some of these generators are burning five bucks a minute. You know, you really got to be ethical about it and kind of go back to the old ways of living where, you know, you can't really rely on your fridge, you know, and that's what a lot of people, I don't understand is you don't have running water. Right. Oh, hundred
0: percent, man. Like, you know, where I'm at, you know, yeah. The ta- town for me is, about a 15-minute, 20-minute drive from me to town. I'm down some gravel roads and stuff. No highway. I can take all gravel to get to town. But where I'm at, I live in a canvas wall tent for the summer. I got a fridge that's in the shop. You know, I, I got a little hot plate I can cook on inside the tent if I want. You know, I got a wood stove inside of the tent with an oven or I got a fire pit outside. And that's what I cook on. And all my water my drinking water, it's all brought in. Like I got to bring that in from town, Mm -hmm. you know? um, And just with my situation out here, like there is an old manager's house that, uh, that is on the property here. But you know, when these pastures were PFRA, they were maintained, they were taken care of. And then when PFRA shut down, when the government shut down that, that program, you know, some of the pastures, you know, kept running just the way, you know, the the province took them over and they just kept going, you know. So they, you know, different part of, part of the government took it over and they kept running them. But some of these pastures like mine went to a municipality run pasture and they rented some of these houses out. And like, for instance, this one here got wrecked. I can't live in it or anything. So, you know, I'm forced to, to live in a wall tent or find somewhere to rent where I got to drive 20 minutes an hour every day to work and it's just you know on a cowboy's wages you just can't afford that
1: no and that's what like you said you know you're 15 20 minutes from a town and I'm I'm pretty fortunate for where I work at right now like super fortunate because I have satellite internet which is the reason for this you know, this podcast, phone calls, and all that kind of stuff. But when I leave the house, I don't have service all day. I don't have anything like that here. For me, I mean, it's 15, 20 minutes up a dirt road, and then once I hit the highway, I'm two and a half hours to the nearest grocery store.
0: Well, exactly. And, you know, we're both remote in our different ways. Like, some people would look at me and go, well, you're not remote. Well, no, I'm not strategically remote, but in a way, I'm out on my own. Yep, yep. You know, yeah, we have the crew throughout the day that I ride with, but, you know, when the crew goes home, it's just me here. Yep. And that's what
1: I think a lot of – it's – Different remoteness. I mean, I've been in places where it, you know, this is probably the most remote I've ever been. Uh, the second biggest place for remote-wise would be in Idaho. And I didn't have cell phone service. I didn't have anything like that. And kind of like I mentioned earlier, I would come out every five days call up the head of the association ask them like hey this is what's going on report to them what i've been doing where the cattle are at you know if we need this need that and every five days i'd come out and if they didn't hear me from me on that fifth day somebody was always up there because they you know in case you get hurt or something like that but uh you know that was that was an hour into a little town called Lador, Idaho. And after you get there they didn't have much for groceries. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a big town. But you could get snacks, stuff like that. There was a bar, and I think that's very important to any any cowboy is knowing where the local water hole's at. Yeah, Plus, that's a
0: that's a pretty, pretty, pretty important deal. Wherever it, you're cowboying to know where the local establishment is. A
1: very, very big important deal. And um then you just kind of go from there you know and after that it was an hour and a half two hours to the local grocery store so i'd come out on a saturday night go to your local watering hole and usually i went to you know there's a town called salmon idaho or Dillon montana and i would go into there and do grocery shopping or go to the local watering holes and kind of bigger town of course you always had to go dance and try to range up a girl or something like that and that never worked out but you always had big hopes for it and you'd meet other cowboys and hang out with your buddies or something like that and uh you know it's uh even that's starting to be hard to go out you know go out once a month get your groceries you're never usually anymore going every weekend you know well that's
0: just it and, you know, a lot of the times, like, you you know, you're you're at a remote place right now, so am I. And, you know, when we first started on these places, like, you remember going to town, you'd get done working, you're like, wow, I'm going to go into town, going to get my groceries. And you'd drive into town and you'd miss the grocery store by, like, 20 minutes. Yep. So you'd be like, oh, okay. And the first time you knew exactly what time that establishment that sold the cold beer, you knew exactly what time you could buy beer at. So you would come back, you know, oh, you'd go there. And a lot of places here, like you can get your, your, uh, your fundamental groceries, like your, uh, your liquid groceries, your barley sandwiches, and your Copenhagen snooze. You can get them there, so you fill up on that. And somebody calls you or texts you, and, you know, asks you how you're doing, and you said, "Well, I made a grocery run." They're like, "Oh, good deal." And he said, "Yeah, I got the essentials." And you live off a of beer in Copenhagen, and you know. Maybe maybe if you're lucky, you got some spam kicking around and, you know, a loaf of bread to get you through the week.
1: But well, that's for dang sure. That's but for- that's,
0: that's a big thing that makes this job kind of fun is, you know, it's, you know, not kind of fun. It's just not knowing, you know, it's just kind of that. Oh, but we'll make it work.
1: Yeah, there's times where you go make a grocery run and, You know, you got to be a little punctual on stuff because, you know, you show up, you leave like on a Saturday or something, and the grocery, like you said, grocery store close. you missed it by five minutes. Even Even by a minute sometimes you're like, gosh darn it. And then you just sleep in your pickup. You know, you go down the local water hole, sleep in your pickup, hit it the next morning, get back to camp and go make a big circle again, you know.
0: Yeah, and generally when you when that problem arises and you sleep up, sleep in your pickup, you're getting back you're getting back to camp in the morning. And uh it's probably generally the morning you know you kind of gotta catch that uh, I wouldn't say monster or bad one, but like just kind of that waspier one and you know that's his rotation and you gotta ride him and you walk into the barn and your head's about ten feet wide. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a so a funny story about that is one time I was working over a little, little operation. They had well, I shouldn't say little, but it was a decent operation. We had fifteen hundred head over there in central Montana on the Castle Mountain and uh we all went town we went into town and which was about like kinda your deal, you know, you're twenty 25, 30 minutes away if that. And we went down, and we partied it up that Friday night. You know, we seen the live bands and hung out and caused, caused a little trouble and all that kind of stuff. And you know what happens when cowboys go to town with a group of, you know, guys you're living with in the bunkhouse and the teepees. And we got to town, and that next day, our uh, cow boss wasn't very happy, so he picked out some snorty, snorty colts that morning. And I remember that pretty vividly as, They're just, I mean, they're snorty, snorty and waspy. And,
0: uh,
1: there are very few that I'll get drunk from Monday Monday through (laughs) till Saturday night. (laughs) You know, because I, uh, that was a hellacious day riding those. And crap. And here's the thing, too, is most people, when you talk about Colts, they're thinking two three-year-olds some fours but these were five six and seven-year-olds you know they're 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 pretty uh in tune to their ways you know that's pretty much like getting a 30-year-old outside of his house that's never worked a hard day and trying to make him work you know and uh, oh
0: exactly
1: you know and so they were they weren't just like an easy-minded horse or easy going these were pretty obstinate buggers and Man, I I'll, I'll never forget that day. And None of and us. And you
0: know the cowboss, you know the cowboss that roped them horses, you know he roped himself out a good one and he's just sitting on his horse, on his horse all day just watching the damn show. I oh, yeah. think it's just you know, funnier and shit.
1: And you know the thing about it, he had a smile ear to ear the whole time. Not because he was excited because he liked to watch horses buck. You know, he liked to watch a good show. Yeah. And, I think that's in all of us anymore. I don't think as I think we get older and you see the young generation ride these snortier horses because I think there is a transition in a way like you're young you ride the shit you get to this age you ride the junk then you get to this age you ride a little bit better horses and you get to this age you can just sit back and watch these young kids horses just try like The other day we were sitting there we had to move some cows and we ended up after the doctor a few and a kid went to cut out the head of these cows that were going the wrong way. He was riding flank and lead and he went to get ahead of them and his his horse cut on two. And when I say cut on two she bucked for a good two, three hundred yards and just bucked. And we were all sitting back there whooping, hollering, you know, we are like because we all been there, we all had that horse, and this kid, you know, he, he was like, well, that's rude, you know, and it was like, hey, man, we all had this horse at one time in our string, sometimes they're better, sometimes they're worse, but we all rode that one horse out cutting two when he had to go out there, you know, whipping where the colt sucked to get ahead of them cattle, they're on a the run, and, uh, you know, he wasn't appreciative of it, but I think when he hits the age I'm at and where the cow boss is at and the jigger boss is at, if he makes it that far and hits that age, he'll sit back and be like, ha, ha, good one. Yep, get it done, you know? Because still this day, some people are like, oh, my God, it's bucking. And then there's me that's laughing the whole time, like, Knife that son of a bitch, you know, and you're throwing your hats, you're throwing your hobbles, you're throwing your rope under Well not your rope, that'll cause a wreck, but uh you're just throwing milk jugs, you know, when we're at
0: camp. You can get your hands on, you know. Oh, we've been you know, us cowboys and hands and guys that do this for a living, you know, we've instigated a lot of wrecks.
1: Oh man, there's there's a time
0: <laughs> there's I remember I remember when I was riding for Western feedlots in Alberta and I, you know, when I was there, I rode with the, with a pretty wild crew that was there. And I mean, you knew the days you could ride a colt, you'd kind of look around the barn and see who was all there. You're like, okay, that bastard ain't here, that bastard. I might be able to get on a colt today. But if you know, there was three of them and any of them pricks were there. You were like, man, If I get on this colt today, they're going to do something. Yep. But, you know, the funny thing about it is, too, like, they did that that to that horse, and they got you in, you know. They didn't want to see you get hurt. They just enjoyed, you know, a good wreck, and we all did. But what them horses learned out of it, you know, when we said that horse was broke, he was broke.
1: Yep. And, honestly, it made good horses, too, at the end of it. Like, and, you know, that was... Crap, I remember sitting there, you know, you'd be riding or something, and you're on a nasty trail. And as you're coming off of a nasty trail up in the Rocky Mountains, sometimes you break up in a good meadow and you could ride side by side. And you'd come out of that deal, and they knew they had you, and they had rope two back feet. Sometimes your horse took off like a jackalope, and sometimes it just stood there, and then, you know, it always made me feel good about my colts after sacking them out and roping them and all that kind of stuff. I always spent a little bit more time than most people with them. Just because I don't like getting bucked with, but that doesn't mean I had, it. <laughs> they were all that good. And I remember uh, I was riding this big, ugly mule faced paint. And we got off this trail and we were all kind of sitting there and I was leading them, you know, through this association. They needed to know, like, where this was this they wanted to kind of see what's going on because a couple of them guys never been there this one guy he ended up coming up and roping my horse's back feet and he went to the wood and he never done nothing i looked back there i said aren't you very disappointed so then he kind of took the lead and I came up with my rope and I roped his two back feet and his horse ended up bucking him off and we ended up having to catch him. And I looked at him and I said, doesn't that just make you mad that you started this whole game and you lost? <laughs> you know? Like, you have honorary buggery, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, I can remember at Western, you know, we were, we were riding some hackmore horses. You know, we had, there was about three of us and we had a little competition going on and we took three horses that hadn't been started. We went to the auction mart and this is one of them drunken bread ideas cowboys get, you know, and that's, you know, that's why every cowboy, you know, we, we rather we need a good woman or we need a supervisor that doesn't let us go into public, especially in pairs and in groups over three. Cause when you get three cowboys that go to town with no supervision and they're going on, two, three days off, you know, I'm telling you, bad shit's going to happen. They're going to get a stupid idea. And our stupid idea was we piled all of our money together. I think we had like 1500 bucks between the three of us. So we went to the local horse sale, just happened to be on. It. And we walked around that horse sale and we bought three horses that were at that sale. And I mean, them, them bastards were there for a reason. Like, you couldn't even stick your hand into the pen to try and pet that son of a bitch because, you know, he was going through the other side of the fence. So all we're going to ride, we're going to start them as hackmore horses, and, you know, we're going to get them going on the feedlot. That was our bright idea. You know, and we we started riding these horses, and we were riding them in hackmores. Of course, you know, you'd be trotting down the feed alley, and one of them assholes would lope by you on his good horse, and he'd just hold his two fingers out there, and he'd hook hook that keeper with his fingers, and you just look at him, and you go, you no good prick. And he'd (laughs) pull that bozel off off your horse, and then you just heard the other one, you know, you heard the other guy behind you, and he might as well have been with the natives when they were going after Custer, because he come up behind you a hooting and hollering, banging them taps he had off them saddle, and you're just thinking, yeah, he's going to do it. he had ride by you and kicked that tap up, hit that horse in the flank, and you know, you were gone. And they're just sitting back laughing. Yep. Yep. You're, you're on a five-year-old runaway. You got no way to stop him, and I mean, he's leaving the country. Yep, we all did there. But it made for a good time. And, you know, it, we probably drove a lot of bosses to drink too because the boss would just shake his head. Like, you'd see the boss coming, and he'd just look at the three and turn around and go, I don't want no part of this.
1: Yep, yep. And, you know, there's a <laughs> there's a couple of times when he tried. And the thing about it is, is having a good cow boss, is when you're – you got three youngins and one <laughs> – one old wise, crafty cow boss. You think you're going to get the, you know, as kids do. You think you can always uh one up the cow boss sometimes, and if you got a good one, it's a good show. And so we had a good cow boss, and we uh, had to play a prank on him one time. We ended up playing a prank on him, and he never let us know that he, you know, he was like, aha, oh, huh. you know, he was mad that morning. But I'll tell you what—he got us all three back one day. He got us all three back one day, and still this day, I say you should never prank a cow boss because <laughs> they—they've been pranked enough, and they've pranked their cow bosses enough that they know some pranks. You know?
0: Oh yeah, they—they know—they know things you've never seen before.
1: Yep, yep, that is for danger. Sure.
0: Yeah, and they've, you know, and just to ride with them old cow bosses, like, you know, what you? And that's, you know, that's where a lot of people get in trouble that I see, you know, that a lot of young guys that come onto this community pasture, you know, they think they're pretty handy. And, you know, maybe they are pretty handy, you know, in their own way and stuff. But they go, oh, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know, I know how to do this, I know how to do that. Well, the cow boss is trying to tell you something, you know. Maybe you should just listen to him because he's probably seen a thing or two.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Like, I was, you know, before I come to this pasture that I'm on now, you know. It was pretty pretty straightforward to me. You know, I've seen a lot. I was pretty, not handy. You know, I knew what I was doing. I could get a job done. I'm no hand now, you know, never claimed to be, and I never will be. I'm always going to be learning new ways to do something and stuff. And, you know, me and the boss, one day we rode up on a on a foot rot bull, and I stepped off my horse. And, you know, that bull, he was just standing he was just standing off of a group of trees, and I step off my horse and I start jerking cinches. And my boss steps off of his horse, and he grabs his rope down off the saddle and he goes, "Here, hold my horse." And I said, "Well, what the hell are you doing?" And he goes, "Well, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna rope this bull." And you know, as a young kid, I'm thinking, you know, you know, oh yeah, you're gonna rope this bull on foot. That seems like a great idea. Seems like a real great idea. And he snuck into the bush, and he come around on the backside of this bull, and he just threw a heel shot in there, and that bull walked into it. And then next thing you know, he went to a tree, and he tied his rope off to a tree. And, you know, that bull went down, and he tied him down and everything. And uh, he goes, bet you never seen that before. And I said, well, generally, you know, we rope them. That's why we have good saddles and horses is to rope them. And he goes, you know what? He goes, I would rather this big bastard fight a tree than fight my horse. He goes, my horse don't have to work. My horse isn't tired. He's not hurt. I don't have a broke saddle. After roping him, he goes, there's a time and place to rope bulls. And if that's what it comes down to and you got to stick a loop around one and go to the pin, he goes, you got to do it. And he goes, but if you can go to a tree, he goes, that way your horse don't get hurt and your saddle don't get broke. And I thought, you know, what, you know, that's a hell of a way to look at things. Like there's always a different way to skin a cat. And that just comes from where I'm with these old boys that'll show you a thing or two. Oh yeah. Well, like I would have never thought of tying a bull, roping them by a back foot or two back feet and tying them to a tree. Well, there's a lot of
1: truth to that. And that's the whole thing is I think a lot of, uh, if you watch these general managers or the cow bosses or even not all of them are great, but not all of them are dumb either. And if you have a good one, you can learn. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I like to go. Go do different things through that is I've been in a lot of places. Me and you've talked about this before. I, Every place I go somewhere, I pick something up, you know, I, I, and now I'm at that age where I've been to enough places that I have enough knowledge that you're kind of in that middle where you're not going to learn a whole lot, but you are learning something. And I think it's more of a ethics anymore than it is because you know how it was when you were young, you used to rope everything that looked at you, you know? You oh, Yeah. And now you kind of sit there and you're like, Nah, I don't need to rope that, you know. And it's it, it kind of disappoints the younger crowd that wants to rope everything. If you're stuck with that ropey kid, because, and then every once in a while you just got left to it.
0: Oh, I mean, even where I'm at now in my stage and you know in my career, cowboy, I still love to rope. Like I want to rope something every day. I, you know, I ride back to the barn at the end of the day and I'm kind of like, damn, I didn't get to rope anything. And even if I get to rope like one foot rot calf or one pink eye calf throughout the whole day, I'm happy. I got to throw my rope around my horses and tired. But like you said, these young kids that are ropey and they want to rope everything, you know, they want to rope these big cows and they want to rope these bulls and, you know, You haven't fought with the bad bastard on the end of the rope yet. Like, oh, roping's so much fun, roping these big cows, or I love roping bulls. You know, we had a guy out here last summer. He came to ride with us, and the boss brought him on just to see if this is something he wanted. You know, so he rode with us for a week, and he kept telling us how much he loved to rope bulls. He just loved to rope bulls, and all of us three that work here, and we've been a crew for the last six years. Every summer together. And we hate roping bulls. Like, I will I will do anything I can before I stick a rope on a bull because I just fucking hate it. And he couldn't get it through his head that, you know, why would you hate roping bulls? He goes, the adrenaline and, and, it's, and it's so much fun. And I said, and you've never had a bad bastard at the end of the rope. <laughs> I said, you get that bad trick on the end of the rope, He would, that'll change your mind because they're not a whole lot of fun. You get in a three, four hour fight with that son of a bitch start breaking ropes and you know bust the saddle tree like he, he he's not that much fun or you cripple a good horse and you know like i had that happen you know i've had a bull broke break my tree in my saddle i've had rope break when i had a bull rope and i've had a bull come up the rope and lame a horse for a year and a half so if i can refrain from anything happening to myself my horse my crew and all the above, make sure the bulls, you know, treated and looked after. And we all ride away back to the trailer at the end of the day with, you know, everything still in one piece. I'm going to do it that way, let alone fighting with them the hard way just because I have a point to prove. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, because at the end of the day when we do this and you go out there and you have wrote and you've roped them bad bulls and stuff, you know, and wrecks have happened. And, you know, you've seen how sometimes you throw your rope out there and rope a cow and your healer rides in there and gets two feet and she just goes down like slicker and shit. And boom, 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 she's treated, she's up, she's gone, she's happy. You know, that was a lot of fun. It went smooth. And you've also seen it go real bad. And so anytime you can go back and you can, you know, ride back to the trailer, or ride back to the barn, and nobody's, nobody's hurt, everybody's in one piece, I mean, that's a good day.
1: No, and that's what – there's – and here's how I look at it, you know. we all been in a good situation, sticky situation, not so good situation, and we've been in some wrecks that kind of made you sit back and just – grab a beer and you think like oh that could have been worse And there's, and speaking from experience i've been in a spot where put me in a hospital for a long time you know and but and i can talk about that like i was put in a hospital for a long time and i got out and when i started riding horses and going back to rope and there's kind of those instances where you're like oh this isn't good i don't want to do this again but it never slowed you down either i think that's because we're too dumb to really slow down and you just went back after and there's a lot of times where it's just you know you, you like i said you hit that age where you've been enough of it you know how to handle a bull better you can handle a cow better you can handle everything better through you know time and it's just one of those things that still this day if something makes me mad and I need to teach a lesson I don't think you know I don't I'm not sitting there like oh I shouldn't do this I'm the idiot that does it you know
0: oh a hundred percent and you know like not that ever getting in a wreck is a good thing But a guy's got to get into some wrecks to figure out how to get himself out of a wreck. Like, you watch any old hand get into a wreck and, you know, wreck around into a good situation, gets control of it. And, you know, you can watch them old boys and you you can go, well, that boy's been in a wreck or two. Like, he knows how to handle himself.
1: Oh, and that's the whole thing is, you know, and this isn't talking about how, you know, and I, I'm going to say this right off the bat, this isn't talking about any tradition, how anybody does anything either. But from how we would go from Montana there, where I was raised and started cowboying, to Idaho, to now I'm here in Nevada, uh, you know, you get a, you get a hooky, hooky cow or a hooky bull on the end of the rope. You can definitely tell that these old these guys around here that have done it more than me. And it could be a kid 10 years younger than me, too. They know how to handle a lot better than sometimes I do, you know? Oh, and exactly. Experience behind it.
0: Oh, exactly. So, like, just hear bullshit. And, like, I'm just going to ask you, like, do you guys get that that feud down there between cowboys? Like this way is better, my way is better. Like this is the only way. the biggest,
1: the biggest feud between traditions, honestly, and is cow punchers and buckaroos. Yeah,
0: high offer to you, of... off Dolly.
1: Yep, yep. Because the the cowboy way is the cowboy way. Like the the cowboys, and this is how I put it. You got the buckaroos of Nevada, you got the cowpunchers, kind of in the Midwest and the South, and you got your cowboys up North, you know, and each, each, uh, everybody does it a little bit different. When I went to Texas, I was, you know, hey, buckaroo this, buckaroo that, and um, I seen some Texans come here, and it's, you Texans this, and you Texans that, and it's really disheartening in in a way because it's just the way of tradition and i think not necessarily cowboy versus cow puncher or cowboy versus buckaroo but definitely the cow punchers and buckaroos do not see eye to eye and there's a lot of good texans and there's a lot of good buckaroos and I shouldn't say Texas, I'm going to say cowpunchers. punchers. There's a lot of good cowpunchers punchers and a lot of good buckaroos that might not see eye to eye, but they can go out and work together. And that's what took me a long time in the, you know, West Texas there. West Texas is because I was a buckaroo with long rope and this and that. And When those guys kind of came up to this area, uh you know it was kind of the opposite they it's not that they were treated like trash because of how they were. It was you're not doing it this way because we've seen these wrecks and you go their place and you're not doing it this way because you've seen their wrecks and I know a guy up in Montana that you still to this day can't pack anything over and big reason is is he thinks that if you have more than a 40 foot rope you can't rope and there's a lot of times where i don't use my 60 foot rope and there's a lot of times where a 60 foot rope comes in handy and i think a lot of it comes down to how you come to branding is the biggest and i might be wrong but is branding because the guys with the short ropes and I'm not talking about... I'm talking tied hard and fast. There's guys that will, you know, with a horn on and tied on that will come with 28 feet. And You know how long 28 feet is, right? From oh, yeah. So, and it made them mad on the few places I went to that I could take a 60-foot rope and come in shorter than they could. And I proved my point, like, just because I'm not tied on doesn't mean I need 60 feet of rope. But when they would come up here and I have a good buddy that has and he came up here and he you know he was giving us shit and everything but we never had to fetch our ropes that day and I watched him fetch his rope quite a bit that day you know and um it's just I would say the cow punchers versus the buckaroos is the biggest thing you know short 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 rubber or short and tied versus long and slick. And I know a lot of guys that pack a 35-foot rope up in Idaho that rope off a Slickhorn and make it work. And they don't tug your horse. They just know how to handle it. And I think that's where the, like I said, there's the buckaroo world, there's the cowboy world, and then there's the cowpuncher world. And all three worlds are different, but the cowpunchers and cowboys get along, buckaroos and cowboys get along, but the buckaroos and cowpunchers they really don't get along, and it's not—it's just their ways better, and so on and so forth. But being from all over the cowboy world, all parts of the cowpuncher world, and me practicing—you know—I shouldn't say practicing. I was actually picked up by the buckaroos, and that's just the way I went. And even. I could sit here and talk about, there's a guy I worked for, hated the flat hat buckaroo lifestyle. And he made me ride some shit ass horses and I still had to get a job done. And just wasn't that great. You know, he treated me like crap and yada, yada, yada. And the cow puncher took the job that I was in and he loved him. Mentalities are, you know, but you're yeah. not coming.
0: And I mean, it's sad that mentalities are that way because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a cowboy or you're a cowpuncher or you're a buckaroo, you know, at the end of the day, we're still doing the same job, you know.
1: That's the whole thing. And that's what me and my buddy from Texas talk about is at the end of the day, we both wake up, we both saddle horses, we don't want to ride. We go out and long trot all day long and by the end of the day you're tired, you're wore out, and you know you've done a good job. And he, him and I talk about and that was the interesting fact about it is uh something was interesting to me about life, I guess, and being in I have is the hack more. Okay. The hackmore is, I think, one of the oldest tools next to a snaffle. And so is the spade bit. Because there's a lot of pe- cow punchers, in, uh, and I'm going to say this, is a good cow puncher understands a spade bit. And they there's a lot of good cow punchers I've worked with that use a spade bit. And there's a lot of vicaros that use a spade bit, or the buckaroos. But I really don't consider them a cow puncher or buckaroo. I consider them more of a bridleman because they understand that every horse was started in a hackmore one time. And it came from the Spaniards and from Mexico. And how that hackmore made it from so far south and came over from literally the Egyptians and Africans and the Spaniards overseas seas. Then it came to Mexico, and it went so far from Mexico that you went to California and Texas and Arizona and New Mexico. And it went so far north, Tuffy, that you guys even use them.
0: Oh, exactly. You and know? It's just, it's, it's one of them things. It's, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's a it's tool of the trade. It's no different than a welder or a mechanic. They all have their tools of the trade. It's how you use that tool yep yep and honestly it's no different than roping on a slick horn like you and my you and myself or roping on rubber like uh ted and clint i ride with you know they rope on rubber and use a little a little shorter rope than i do it's it's all about how you use it
1: yep and that's the whole thing is and that's a big thing too is uh i have and my what I consider my arsenal of CAC is I have two snaffle bits, but I got five hackmores. And I got three m- McCartys that can go and three different horse hairs. And everybody says, Why do you have three different horse hairs? And you only got two mohair. And I said, Well, the two the mohair for like my good horses, like my two reining. And um, when they go into the tutoring and that's what I practice, I practice the whole and everybody goes, Oh, you're practicing the California style. And I I think that is a fair assessment to say California style, but I also prefer the term um, bridleman, you know, and that's the whole thing is everybody says, what's the California vaquero and the buckaroo you know, the Great Basin Buckaroo. And there's a difference between that, even, is because a Great Basin Buckaroo would start them in a snaffle, go to a hackmore, go to a two-rain, into a bridle. And a California vaquero, or the California way, would go a hackmore, two-rain, to a bridle. And the reason for that snaffle was because of way more country than what the californios used to ride you know california is a very lush state very very beautiful has a lot of good agriculture um to be had you know we could put down california either way and be like oh california this or that but if you look at it california is a very it, it's a very big state and oh it a- is and, you know, and there's a lot of agriculture that goes on in California. and But when they came to this bigger land, when those over here, they started really riding in snaffles and stuff like that, just because they had a little bit more control over
0: the horse. And, and then comes back to the state where I'm a firm believer in is the country defines what ty- what, what part of the country you're riding defines kind of your style. Everybody can take, you can take your own twist and put it on it and make it work for you. But your country kind of, your guide defines your style. And that's very, you know, and I
1: remember growing up as a kid, you know, that's the big thing is I remember growing up as a kid, you would see a buckaroo and you knew it was a buckaroo because he had a flat hat. He had armitas, he had this, he had, he would wear this or wear that. Um, You could tell a cow puncher because of his hat. You could tell how he wore his boots, you know, this and that. You could tell a Packer. You could tell uh, an Arizona boy. You could tell a Canadian boy. You could tell, you know, you used to be able to wear. That's who you were, you know, and anymore, everybody wears a flat hat. Everybody has a wade saddle. Everybody does this. Everybody wears this. And the thing about it is, is our tradition isn't dying, but it's changed so many times that the, and I'm going to be kind of rude here is the buckaroo away. Everybody sees this big old bridle bit and a silver fancy bit and uh, hack more horses and this. And I, and I'm not putting down anybody, but like Buck Branaman. And all these other guys that go to the and they're good horsemen. I'm not gonna put them down, but every single buddy and their dog sees that. Oh, he's got a weight saddle. I need a weight saddle. He's got this. I need this. He has a flat hat. I got a flat hat. And really, it kind of ruined the whole persona of a buckaroo was this. You know what I'm kind of meaning? And a cow- oh, a hundred percent and it kind of ruined that in a way and um really i'm starting to see a big change in saddles here where i'm at is a lot of guys are riding kind of a lou allen tree like a swelled wade you know yeah uh, and then, uh all that kind of stuff and they're they're going to that in a way because they're starting to. Not C, but they're starting to change different way because everybody adapted. I'm going to look at everybody from the East that rides English and they're buying these weight saddles and they don't understand anything about it from English to Western. And they just buy this big old weight, 16 inch weight saddle because Buck Branham and Special from Freckers, you know, and it doesn't fit their horse. It doesn't fit them they don't understand that and it sounds rude and i i think we should teach a better ethic not saying that nobody shouldn't have a wade saddle nobody should not saying nobody should wear a flat hat but um it's you should learn you know that way i see a lot of people ride a horse with a spade bit and that horse is not a bridle horse or a bit way too large, and that horse shouldn't have that. And even like you kinda of mentioned earlier, is you get on TikTok and you see these people trying to do a nice stop on the horse and their horse's mouth are gaping open and their heads up in there and they're like, that was a nice stop. No, not really. That horse has no fundamentals of what you're doing. And I think the whole tradition of horses anymore has gone out. I don't think there's really, in the cowboying world, yes, there's, like we talked about, cowpunchers, cowboys, buckaroos. But there's not any difference in the horse world, you know what I mean? Uh, I see people riding too large bits for horses. I see a lot of things that I don't agree with. And it, it's kind of disgusting, you know?
0: Oh, it is. And, like, a lot of the, you know, um, and I, I've seen that, like, what you were talking about with, like, the, you know, guys starting to get away from wades and stuff. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with horses are changing. The style of horses that people are breeding are changing. Um, You know, like. It, it, it's getting it's getting hard to find a good horse for the ranch world to take out and do a day's work off because they're just not not raising and not breeding that style of horse anymore, you know.
1: Well, and I mean exactly what you said, and this is going to probably piss off a lot of people here when I say this, and I really don't care. Is the modern American Quarter Horse is not that great of a horse for what i do it the modern american quarter horse really has a terrible long trot they like to lope you know they're more made for the arena they're fast but they don't have a good long trot on them they don't have a good trot at all and no american, and if you look at it the american quarter horse anymore is a hip hide horse and so that's why I think a lot of the appendix style quarter horses are better. I think that's, and look at the draft market. The half, oh, like a
0: couple of years what? ago, I'm going to even say like five years ago, you couldn't give a draft horse away.
1: Yeah. You couldn't give a quarter or half draft away. And that's what a lot of these ranches are went to, you know, for many moons ago was a quarter or half draft st- crossed horses and it's because they have such a long trot. And honestly, if you know anything about horses, a draft really doesn't like to lope, but they no. long trot and run. Oh, and, and that was the whole thing was a half draft or a quarter draft cross. That's why they're popular. They have we have country we need to cover, and we could cover it quicker with and still this day if you look a lot of these guys have a thoroughbred style type of horse you know the appendix style and I, they are a better horse to cover country than the modern quarter horse
0: oh 100 percent, and not that the modern ho- quarter horse doesn't doesn't have a place like don't get me wrong i like stepping on a catty little quarter horse that you can cut something on it. Of- and sort in the crawls on, but day to day going out and making a big circle or, you know, gathering a big group of cows where you got to ride through some pretty nasty bog country, or and, you got to rope that big cow. You know, it's nice sitting on them bigger horses that can handle it. And you're not worried about and, that little quarter horse getting jerked down on his head or getting jerked sideways on top of you. And I'll
1: say this after even my comments, Tuffy about the modern quarter horse I have two out of four and my favorite horse is my big blue roan and she is a quarter horse she's got excellent lines she's you know but she is still not a horse if I knew I'm gonna have to cover a lot of country she is not the horse I take (laughs) you know and that's And that's what people are like, you just put down quarter horses, but you got two of them. I'm like, yeah, that's why I put them down is I have two of them and they're not, they're not cut country covering
0: horses, you know? No. I mean, dang nice horses, but I mean, they have their place just like everything.
1: And that's, that's the thing that you hear too is, you know, and I'm going to say this is everybody bad mouths like these Hancocks but the Hancock's so bred out of them you really don't have a Hancock just you have the name of a Hancock and uh, really these modern Hancock lines are actually super good and I think to find an old Hancock line he, you know it, it they'll make a cowboy horse still and that's that's just the whole thing is everything has been is evolutionized. You know, everything is changed.
0: Well, and like, um, you know, I'm not trying to put down the people that, you know, show horses or the fraturity horses. And I mean, cause them guys are good at what they do and they make some dang nice horses.
1: And I'm kind of jealous of them. Cause what it takes me four years to put into a horse they can do in 30 to 60 days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, just, but that's, you know, That's what them guys do for a living. That's, you know, and that's why they're good at it. You bring them guys out there, not that they can't come out here and ride with us, but they come out here and ride with us, you know, they might be a little sore at the end of the day. You know what I mean? We, you know, but the problem is that I see in the show world, and I could be wrong, and this is just coming from me and, you know, not trying to piss anybody off or put anybody down. But the guys that are good at it, they go out there on a horse and they make a horse look really good. And, you know, Karen down the road sees that and goes, oh, that's what I'm going to breed for. I'm going to breed a horse for that. And then she just goes and starts raising some backyard shitters. You know, so so many people see the show world and go, oh, that's that's what we need, that's what we want that's this but they don't have a clue what they're doing and they're they're forgetting the fundamentals of horses and breeding and you know what horses are now they're just breeding for for a want to look showy or for a look you know what i mean instead Mm -hmm. of a purpose well and that's look
1: how many backyard breeders there are Anymore.
0: Well, that's just it. And these backyard breeders and everything, there's, what what is killing the horse world. And there's a few guys that are just making a killing. You know, awful horses like that. You know, because they can, they can buy that. You know, they can buy that backyard bred horse, turn it into something fairly nice, and flip them. So, I mean, it's just, it takes all different walks of life. But I definitely do think, like, we need to get back to, you know, fundamental breeding and breeding horses for a purpose. Not just breeding horses because, you know, that's what we think people want. No,
1: and that's the whole thing is um, and as anybody kind of sees is how the, and a good one to talk about really is the modern American quarter horse. And it, like, it's a good horse. Like, don't get me wrong. They're, they're good horses, but they're not a great cowboy horse. They're not and everybody's like, what do you mean? They, they're they catty. They can move side to side. But if you look at them, how they're developed, and this is where I get in a lot of trouble with a lot of people, is a lot of these good American modern quarter horses are a little bit hip high, and they're meant for their front end. Like my blue horse, she'll get her front end down. Like she will not set like a cow horse on the back end to spin. She'll move her front end. And she's real like on her front end. And she's real watchy, but you don't have that quote unquote collection either because her nose is kind of out, then it needs to be out because she's on her front end. Does that make sense? Rather than having your appendix style or your thoroughbred or your Andalusians where you can kind of collect them, you're collecting them up in the chest, you're keeping them on their ass and they can pick themselves up back and forth. Not saying a quarter horse can't do that, It's harder for a quarter horse to do that and learn when they're bred for a certain way. You can get old quarter horse lines that pick themselves up and are a good cow horse. But the modern quarter horse that we have anymore is meant for running, roping, and sorting and cutting.
0: Oh, exactly. And when you say roping, I think you're you're meaning more like arena roping than actual pasture roping.
1: Oh, even in pasture, you know, even in pasture, they're pretty good because they'll flat cut to one, you know. But, yeah, you are kind of right, you know.
0: And, I mean, you know, I know know exactly what you're saying. But, you know, this modern quarter horse, you know, unless you get a good one – and know what you're looking for, and know what kind of cattle you're open. You know, man, it can be sketchier open on them little horses at times because they just, they just can't hold themselves. You know, you get some of these old, old cowsies. You know, these charlotte cows, or you know, these limousine cattles, cows and stuff. Some of these big old cattle. I mean, there's a lot of weight at the end of that rope, and that old cow knows how to use that weight. And your little pony, he can try his damnedest, and I'm not saying they're weak-hearted or anything, but just, they just get overpowered.
1: Well, and here, here's a... Okay, and I'm going to say this. I don't mind, and I'm just even going to throw this out here real quick and kind of pull a little segue, is look at the new rule that the NRHA just put in where they're allowing the drug uh, set of it. And so, I don't know if you've paid yeah, attention. Yeah,
0: I, I heard, I heard actually, um, Brooke just told me about that the other day and we never really talked about it too much, but I just heard, heard about it, that they're allowing horses to be drugged. That was kind of a shocker.
1: Well and here here's what I've and I'm gonna say this I've not really ever liked the Raining Horse Association at all. I think person who says I I'm into Rainers, I I honestly as biased as I can be, I actually will not even acknowledge you after we said like after all this conversation, because the rainer I think ruins horses. The true raining horse. It they ruin them, and it doesn't matter. And now they are allowing the this drug, which is a sedative, and I, it's kind of a romphidine. It's a prescription sedative, and now they can administer it to horses prior to competing. So, is that just to calm their horse down? It, well, um, really, it's to help them. Slow down well not it, kind of yes but it also helps them where like you said helps them kind of calm down it helps them when they're stressed you know there's a lot of things this drug's going to help them for and even even if one's a little bit let's say injured or kind of crippled they can work past that And um, I do agree with this new policy is bullshit because it's going to increase the potential for injury. Um, As we've seen in the last couple of years, if you paid attention to the futurity, they had horses literally overwork and pass out during competition. Um, And I I really have to say, the rain horse, I don't really like the raining thing. I, I think it's a disgusting way how they got their head so low. It, it's just disgusting to me. But the reined horse should be willingly guided or controlled with little or no apparent resistance and to be dictated completely because that's the goal is to make that better of horse. So if you're drugging it, it undermines the integrity of the goals of that reiner. And I think that really, uh, really made, as I said, I think a reigning horse is a very ugly horse. I think they break down horses too much. I don't. And if you ever really been around a true reigning horse, they, they don't really like life, you know, and now they added this new drug and it really makes me think about these reiners these top reiners. Why, why would you want that rather than saying, Hey, and I think that's where I get at it is I can say I'm a better cowboy than you. You can say you're a better cowboy than me. And the only way to prove it's take your best horse, my best horse, and let's go
0: cow cowboy. But oh, if I, exactly. So it makes it un, uh, like, it's not a level playing field anymore. Well, I
1: mean, it still can be if everybody drugs their horses.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> there's not going to be everybody that drugs their horse. Um, you know, about that reigning world, Um, I don't follow it at all, and I don't care to, and that's just, it's just not my thing. If it's somebody's thing, I mean, good for them. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think you should have to, be allowed to drug a horse to compete on it for whatever reason. I mean, if you have to slow him down or drug him because he's crippled, first off, if he's crippled, you shouldn't even be riding him. You know, and if you're going to drug him so he can push through that, like, that's not right. And if you're going to drug him because he's harder to slow him down, well, maybe you should go back to the basics of starting horses and, you know, Put more training into that horse to get him slowed down. And that's the whole is, I mean, you know, stop making a crutch. Stop stop putting crutches on these horses and putting band-aids over a problem. Because the sad part about it is we let that go now. You know, when is it going to come up somewhere else? When is it going to come up somewhere else? When is it going to come to the public where the public can drug a horse and get somebody fucking killed? You know, that's the thing, because, I mean, the Rainers are allowed to do it, so why can't we? Well, and that's
1: the whole thing, and I meant that. I meant the whole giving a horse sedatives, and that's what, like, and I'm going to clear this up. Like, the set of it is a romphlandine. Like, it's pretty much rompum, you know? And why if your horse is under that much stress, you shouldn't even be there.
0: No. So you, you give that horse to it and you want to sell them as this, you know, raining horse or whatever you want to sell them as whatever you're putting his handle out there to be kind of horse. And you get little Susie from, Wherever that doesn't know how to ride that kid comes, rides this horse. You load him up on drugs. She rides him no problem. Oh, yeah, this is exactly what I'm looking for. You know, this is a horse. I've fallen in love with him. I want him. Buys him. Gets him home. That drug wears off, and that horse half fucking kills her. Or worse, kills her. Who's that fault? Well, that's the whole thing
1: is... like, I mean, okay. Let's just put you and I, for example. If I give my horse a combing agent as a or anything like that and I can go out there and take a weed eater and go whack out my weeds you know around the house with it and then you get on it and it doesn't like ropes it doesn't like you can't even touch the fucker that, that, that makes me look shitty you know And really, I give, like, if I have a horse that can't really be shot, yeah, that's what I, I think that's a good, you know, give it some romping, give it a little bit of ace. It calms them down, mellows them out. But at the same time, you shouldn't
0: be riding them, you know. Oh, 100%. I mean, there's a time and place for that kind of thing. And it's not for when you're riding them.
1: Nope. And I agree and I think that's the NRHA deal they're really messed up and I think honestly I don't even know why they how it just shows you where the horse industry they're pushing these hundreds and hundred thousand dollar horses so far that they need calming agents
0: well and I mean it needed a it's pretty sad when we have to when we have to come up with that rule to show horses. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you and I know when our horses are tired and when it's time to give them a break. And I mean, if you've been doing, if you've been riding for any amount of a time or put enough hours in a saddle, you know when a horse is tired and when a horse needs a break. Well, then- if you don't know when that time is to give him a break, Give them a week off. Give them a couple days off. As far as I'm concerned, put your saddle away. Like, don't ride no more because apparently you're not smart enough to do it.
1: Well, and that's the whole thing is like that – the set of it, or what? it is like Romphidine. It was developed to keep a horse sedated for an hour or a little more that a horse can be like – pretty steady on its feet as you're doing something floating their teeth. If you get a create bad one, or if you got one with a bad wire cut or something like that, you know, that's what it was made for a drug to help a horse out that needed it. Not because you're in a competition and you have to go in with a big dick swinging contest, you know, and I think this is really going to push a lot of issues. Um, and I truly believe this is a very bad call for the NRHA. I invoke, and, and I bet you you're going to see it go into the cow horse and the cutters now too.
0: Oh, eventually, like once it's it, it'll be like wildfire. Once it starts somewhere, it's just going to spread over time. The barrel horse is using that. That's for damn sure. I, I I don't think there's a drug out there that's strong enough to calm them barrel horses down, I don't think. Well, what I'm trying to say is you can't really give the set of it to a barrel horse or it's not going to win a race. Well, that's <laughs> just it. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's probably some owners out there that could use it.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't know. The world's changing. This 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 world we live in and, you know, the cowboy world and the horse world, it's just, it's changing so rapidly and, like, just, and not just slowly. Like, it's leaps and bounds and big, big, big changes every year come up. Yep. You know, which it makes kind of fortunate for guys like you and me, like, you know, Life doesn't change too much around here. You know, the years change, the weather changes, the country changes. Horses do change. You know, we always have new horses in, so that changes. But, you know, the job never changes. The job always stays the same. Yep, that's for dang sure. You know. And I guess at the end of the day, it, it just comes down to whether you're happy doing what you're doing. Yep. You know, and I feel pretty blessed to do to do what I do. And you know, I got some good people in my life that support what I do and you know, it makes it even even that much better.
1: For dang sure, man.
0: Well man, I think uh I think I think that'll about wrap it up for tonight. I sure appreciate you coming on. Tonight, yep, yep, we'll do it again. Oh, for sure, and you know, maybe when we do it again, maybe we can get uh, a little bit, you know, instead of just two two guys just kind of rambling on and bullshit, and you know, we we'll, we'll have a we'll have a purpose or we'll actually have a topic. Sounds like plan, man. And like anybody that's listening to this, you know, like we have it on uh, on Facebook on. The group, like, tell us what you want to hear, and uh, you know, me and Steven will make it happen.
1: Try to, anyway. Sometimes it might not happen, but we'll try.
0: You know, we'll we'll give it our best. We'll give it our best. They got to remember they're just dealing with cowboys here, so sometimes we get a little, a little off topic and run astray. Yeah. That's where guidance comes in. Supervisors, cow bosses, you know, might have to rein us in a little bit. Some people say women, but th-
1: I haven't found one that can still control me. So that's good.
0: Well, I, I got one. I got one. You know, maybe maybe we'll get her just guide us.
1: Yeah, good luck with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're kind of like two five-year-old kids that just, we're like that half-broke horse that every cowboy has that yep. just runs off. That's exactly true. Or that half broke dog where you're like, oh yeah, that dog, you're bragging your dog up to everybody. And you're like, oh yeah, this is a real good dog. Really figuring its stuff out, really turning into a good cow dog. Five minutes later it's running through the group of cows scattering shit everywhere, and everybody's looking at you. Oh yeah, real good fucking dog. And you're like, Wow. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> shit happens. Well, man, I sure appreciate you coming on here. You know, I think I think this is going to be a fun road. I think it should be. I think it should be.
1: So we'll uh, catch up with you, and we'll get back on another time.
0: Sounds good, brother. Well, you have a good evening, and take care. All right, see you. Later. Later.